Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Guess who? I'm going to give this podcast a noine because Lynette Paladino comes in to take down my second favorite film of all time, Pulp Fiction. That's right, Pulp Fiction. Before we get to it, don't forget a few things. One, gutting the sacred cow at hotmail.com if you would like to work for us in some capacity. We'll talk. Two, Again, gutting the sacred cow at hotmail.com. If you're looking to do a sponsorship with us, we're taking advertisements. We're ready for your product or service to be featured on our podcast. And of course, three, let's keep those reviews coming in. Five-star rating, one-sentence review, something like, these guys are funny. These guys are swell. These guys sound like they have stinky feet and or belly buttons. I don't care. Just the review really helps. Thanks again for all your support. Please don't forget like and share. You guys are amazing with all that, and sharing by word of mouth really has helped us. Uh, I really can't tell you how much it means to Kevin Israel and myself, so keep it coming. We're going to have some cool things to announce in the very new future. Maybe some merch, you never know. Here's Lynette Paladino doing Pulp Fiction. Gather round, here's what I know. It's just that this Gutting the Sacred Cow, episode 15. Wow, gutting like, the Sacred Cow. Hey, should we do like a morning DJ? Hey, everybody, good. It's 722 in the morning here. Gutting the Sacred Cow, coming to you live, 95.5 WBLJ. Waka waka. <laughs> we need a slide whistle and a car <laughs> horn and a wah wah. <laughs> episode 15. Hey, you guys are kicking ass with the reviews. We now have well over 100 reviews on iTunes. That sounds like we're a legit podcast. It does. And I'm honest. And thank you for the feedback. Some of you are texting me and, and messaging me because I texted them to Kevin to show how we're really ki- we're taking off. Thank you so much for the feedback. But listen, the fight's not done. We need more reviews. Every time you text me a review, I feel like you're sending me like a picture of your child being like, look how it's growing. <laughs> look how good we're doing. Our little baby's all <laughs> grows up. Said his first words. Oh, my God. This is oh, our little baby. You know, it's- we're- 
posts about your dog, Kevin. What's that? My dog? Yeah. No, my dog. No, <laughs> oh, yeah, your dog. Yeah, yeah, Wait yeah. till I have a child. Ugh, you're going to be one of those people? Gross. No, yeah, probably. But yeah, listen, thanks for And if you guys, anyone is interested in working with us in any capacity, hit us up. Gutting the Sacred Cow. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, guttingthesacredcow at hotmail.com. I have eight Google addresses. That's why we don't have a gutting the sacred cow on Gmail. But more importantly, before we get into all the good stuff, tonight we're going to do at one of my, my, one of my comedy wives. I'm a Mormon in comedy wives, by the way. One of my comedy wives, producer of the infamous comics, watching comics and Amazon video, and herself a contestant on season seven, right? Yeah. Seven. That's right. My gal and comedian extraordinaire, and don't forget in the goddamn, what were you, lieutenant in the army? Oh, fuck you. I'm a captain. Captain, excuse me. Captain in the U.S. Army. Me lady in yours, Lynette Palladino. Hi, Lynette. How, how are you, my dear? Oh, I'm doing great. Lynette and I. Hiding in the bedroom oh, away from my child. <laughs> <laughs> is David home tonight? Actually, he just popped in. I wasn't expecting him. Oh, surprise. I, I think he's made his paramour. Oh, is he? <laughs> the side piece he's done. He's coming home to the wife now. The guma action is over. Lynette, like my like, like our first female guest of the year, Monica Vita, Lynette has decided to undertake a Herculean task. I was just going to – I would now say a Sisyphean effort <laughs> by picking my second – that's right, second favorite film of all time. Lynette, I will tell you this much. Pulp Fiction. Our first episode – when Kevin and I were just figuring out what this nonsense is, we were to go into. We, I think we just went through our list of movies that we, you know, we, we held sacred ourselves. And he was like, "Nobody will ever be able to take down Pulp Fiction." Oh no! And I figured, I figured we'd be a, we'd be like a hundred episodes in before somebody got to Pulp Fiction. And he, when he texted me and was like, "Lynette wants to do Pulp Fiction," I was like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> <laughs> Pulp Fiction yeah. without any. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh show my cards too early but there's a lot to unpack in this fucking movie i think you're showing your cards very early being that you've chosen this film to do our podcast so wait and i'm curious and i don't know if this is all right for us to ask because the day we live in but how old are you lynette oh god uh look at her she's 48 uh yeah i'm not gonna answer (laughs) because i'm getting to that are you are you are you a millennial let's put it that way yes means so i mean I think personality-wise, I'm absolutely not a millennial. But you fall into that generation. I think so, yeah. Um, I I was a kid, like a very young kid when Pulp Fiction when this came, came out. out. Okay. It was not a movie I would have seen in the theaters. And I definitely think it is one, almost like comedy, that really requires a group experience to enjoy. I saw that. Speaking of the theater, I saw this in the theater not once, not twice, but thrice. Really? That's how good you were. You must have been, I was going to say 16. 16. Yeah. 16 going I, was, 17. I saw it in college. I was yeah. 18. Did you really? Yeah. You yeah. didn't see it until college? I, I was. No, it came out when I was in college. Wait a minute. We're fucking three months. You're three months older than I am. Well, I, you know what? My parents, I, I did not start. I started school a year late because I'm a November baby. Yeah. So I, was, I was a freshman in college. When, yeah. When my freshman out. year was 94, 95. Excuse me. Okay. Pulp Fiction and Kevin Israel. What was it on IMDb on the old one to tenor with decimal uh, points included, of course? IMDb, I'm going to say that it's probably like an 8.4. Ooh, you, a little low. 8.9 on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes critic score, if you please. Critics, like, I think it, I, I, I'm guessing, because critics are assholes, like a 78. 
92. Really? Wow. Critics was a critic's darling. In fact, nominated for Best Picture in 1994, wow. along with which other two films? I have no idea. Forrest Gump. Right. And? And... I, I can't remember. Shawshank Redemption. Oh, wow. and, and And neither of the two better movies won. Thank you! <laughs> Uh, audience score, if you would be so kind. I bet that's in the 70s. I bet that's like a 78. 96! Really? Wow. Everyone loves wow. this film. Well, I'm th- 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 <laughs> sure there was somewhere where it Oh, uh, no, 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 no. I knew, I knew without even looking. I go, this is easily in the 90s. And I was surprised it was 8.9 on IMDb. Everyone... No, I have a question. Yes. The critic review, is that at the time of the movie, or is that... It is called – no, no, great question. Their reviews are ongoing. As I was on Rotten Tomatoes last night, they start from 94 and can be as current as two weeks ago. Yeah, the scores wow. change. The scores can change. They do. I mean, it's, at this point, with a movie like that, there's probably so many that if you put up a score, it's not going to have an impact. Yeah. You need a lot of people to take to tank it or to you know. Well, it's already so high, you can't really you know make it yeah. higher. Budget in 1994, 8.5 million to make. Now add another ten and a half million for marketing costs. Get you in at nineteen million dollars to make this film. How much did it make in nineteen ninety four? Two hundred and thirteen point nine million. This got Weinstein's company on the map. This gave him a hard on. Exactly more than a, a, a finish ficus, that joke. A ficus. Finish that joke. Got it. In nineteen ninety four, two hundred and thirteen point nine million. In twenty twenty dollars. $380.4 million. This got Miramax to the big boys table. That's a that's a great number f- as today for like a non-superhero movie. What is the biggest uh, budget versus all-time grossing film? So I'm saying the lowest budget, but the highest like return. I don't know. Lynette, any guesses? I'll give you a hint. I saw this. You probably did too. Came out in 1999. As soon as I say it, you're gonna go. Of course. I don't know. Any guesses, Lynette? No. Blair Witch Project. Oh my gosh! That's made for a, like a few hundred, maybe like, I think it was at seventy grand ish, maybe even like a hundred, and it raked in like two hundred million. Plus. And everybody that walked out of that movie was like, "Fuck!" I liked it. <laughs> you that, walked out of that movie satisfied? I I, I liked it. the ending. Go, oh shit. Because of that last cut, and you see the guy standing in but the corner. But that was all there was I know. to the movie. Try that rewatch. You can't. You can't. I tried rewatching it again. Uh, it's, would, it's not. It's not good. It's because it's like the Sixth Sense. Exactly. It's a one time. Once it's a one night stand. Yeah. Lynette, I have a saying with films. This film is a remote control film. Meaning, if I flick around and I see this film is on, I drop the remote control and say, "No need for this until this puppy's over." No matter what point in the movie it's this at, this is on the Mount Rushmore of remote control films for me. But, and yet, ironically, it's rarely on TV. Ah, uh, I digress. It is on now nonstop. It's on the is it really? Star on Encore. Yeah, it was on Friday night. I caught half of it. No kidding. And I have it on Blu-ray. Of That's course. funny. I, yeah. I don't think I've caught it on cable in a long time. Now. Our next section is quotes. And quotes aplenty this film has, unlike The Sixth Sense. (laughs) I will give my favorite ones, and then you give yours, and you can also chime in or jump in or share yours. Royale with cheese, of course. The Big Kahuna Burger. Did I break your concentration? Will allow me to retort. Five dollar milkshake. That's it. You don't put (laughs) any, any bourbon in that? Of course, the hacky one. I'm gonna get medieval on your ass. God damn, Jimmy, this is some serious gourmet shit. <laughs> you looked in the mirror and you wish you had some pot. I love that one. 
I think I cracked a rib. Giving me oral pleasure? Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. No, you don't have to stab her three times in the chest. You have to stab her once. It's through breastplates. And, uh, well, two more. Bitch, be cool. Tell that fucking bitch to chill. <laughs> and my all-time favorite quote that's not ever used enough, but I kind of thankfully it's not, so it's still under the radar. Let's not start sucking each other's dicks quite yet. <laughs> oh, great line. Fucking perfect. You missed a couple of good ones. Well, I, didn't ha- I, listen, I had, seriously, on I a yellow eagle pad, eight, eight lines of quotes. <laughs> I'm like, no, Israel's going to jump in. So you, uh, you give me yours. Um, uh, one of my favorite is... Nah, man, we're a long way from good. <laughs> yep. Um, and then same scene. I'm gonna call up some pipe, well, <laughs> pipe hitting, and get medieval mm-hmm. on his ass. Yep, yep. That's, uh, that's a great one. Um, the entire the he kept it in his ass. The wa- I, I have this. Oh, I have that section. But yeah, walking. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, his whole that whole speech is just. <laughs> it doesn't get any better or more walking than that monologue. Yeah. Well, and to digress, as I was researching this movie, I found out that that whole scene, that whole story, was supposed to be its own movie that was then combined. Ooh, that with, did not make yeah. my five fun facts section. The, um, sorry to sorry to step on your toes. No, please um, continue with your quotes. And uh, oh, uh, I I always I've, I said this to my wife a lot, and she never gets it. I want a pot. I said that with the pot, yeah. <laughs> you looked in the mirror and you wish you had some pot? No, silly. Oh, yeah, 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 right, 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 right. <laughs> I want a pot. That, I'll, be, that, I'll be back before you can say blueberry pancakes. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that, that pretty much. And the whole thing, and I never quote it right, but I've said it to my buddies over the years a lot. You never massage another man, another man's woman's feet or something yeah. like that. You never massage a yeah. woman's Touch feet. Touch another man's feet and put your tongue in the holy of holies. <laughs> Ain't the same goddamn right. ballpark. Ain't the same fucking game, Vincent. <laughs> Five fun Facts. Michael Madsen was supposed to reprise his role from Reservoir Dogs as Vincent Vega to star in what film did he give up Pulp Fiction to do instead? This is going to make you fucking nauseous. I'm not even going to give you a chance to guess because you're never going to pull it out in a million years. That film is Wyatt Earp. That's right. He was in Wyatt Earp. Yeah, I never saw it. You I'm never a, saw Wyatt Earp? I heard it sucked. Uh, I'm, a tomb, I'm a tombstone kind of guy. Is it good? I, I have a very controversial opinion. I haven't seen it. Oh, I Tombstone think, or Wyatt I think, Earp? I think Wyatt Earp's Doc Holiday is better than Tombstone's. <sighs> you got to watch Wyatt Earp to, All understand, right. to understand why. And if you watch it again, because my wife was watching just, was it last night? Yeah. It's right when he walks in, Michael Matson in Reservoir Dogs. And he goes, Vic Vegas back, everybody. Vic, I'm like, that's, see? That was a character yeah. that he was supposed to be. All right. Number two, again, you're not going to guess, so I'm just going to flat out tell you. Matt Dillon was supposed to play the role of Butch, the boxer, but took too long to consider the role. And so Bruce Willis took it, but he was pissed. He was not asked to play Vincent Vega. I think that I think the casting was perfect. I couldn't have. I couldn't. Well, see it the other way. wait till you hear who was supposed to be Uma Thurman because she was not Tarantino's first choice. Isabella Rossellini, meh. Mm. Julia Louis Dreyfus, meh. Oh, really? Yeah. Meg uh, Meg Ryan, what? Alfre Woodward, Woodard, Halle Berry. Daryl Hannah, who is in uh, uh, Kill Bill, of course. You know who Meg Ryan was also considered for? This is going to overlap in a future episode. Uh, no, what? Pretty Woman. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I did have that down. Rosanna Arquette, who is actually in this film. Joan Cusack. Can you imagine Joan Cusack in that horrible Chicago accent? In what did they film? just say? Let's go through every average kind of attractive-looking woman in Hollywood. Joan Cusack, not attractive. Let's not go down that road. I think she would have been brilliant. I, Cusack? Uh, 
beyond annoying to me. Well, here's the last choice, and this was Tarantino's favorite one, but did not get it, was Michelle Pfeiffer. I could have seen that. Totally could have seen that. that, So I I don't know the timeline. Had she already played Catwoman at this point? Yes, Catwoman, uh, uh, Batman Batman Returns was 92. And then then Dangerous Minds was 95. So this would have been after... Pulp Fiction would have been shot before Dangerous Minds would have been shot. So I'm trying to – Dangerous Liaisons. I forgot what year it is. That was. I don't remember. Yeah, that's somewhere in there. Okay. First choice for Jules was Lawrence Fishburne. Same. I could totally see that. Yeah. Then, since he said no, Paul Calderon kicked ass in his audition, and it was almost him. But Samuel L. Jackson had to fly back. And re-auditioned and brought a burger and fries back to do the Royale with cheese scene. Who's Paul Calderon? Great question. The, bar- <laughs> the bartender in Marcellus Wallace's club when he opens the door. Vincent Vega, our man in Amsterdam. Jules Winfield, our man in Inglewood. Get your asses in here. So we got a bit of a smaller role is what he you're got, saying. Yeah. <laughs> he got downsized. And this is my favorite fun fact. The bad motherfucker wallet is Quentin Tarantino's wallet. That doesn't surprise me at all. And a bonus five fun facts. Let me get five, six fun facts. We all know Julia Sweeney had a part in this film from SNL. So did her husband, who played the gimp. No shit. I always wondered who the gimp was. Well, I found out for you. (laughs) Do you have any fun facts for me, Mr. Israel? No, the one fun fact. So Quentin Tarantino and I think uh, his partner's name was Avery in this. Roger Avery? Yeah. They uh, they came together to write to start writing these movies, and they had this idea to write a trilogy of movies. And Avery's movie was, and I can't remember the name of it, but was the the Watch story. And, okay. And Quentin Tarantino started writing, and he wrote what ended up being Reservoir Dogs. Excellent. And then after Reservoir Dogs succeeded, they came back together, and they started writing. and And Avery brought the Watch story, and Tarantino wanted to continue with the line of sort of Reservoir Dogs. These you know high-class villains and they so that's how they created pulp fiction that's interesting i also uh read robert rodriguez's book and if you don't know who he is he directed desperado and el mariachi mm-hmm. he documents in his biography which is fantastic how he had to donate his body to science he went to a, a scene a scene a clinic or whatever and they injected him with the flu for like three months straight so he got enough money to finance el mariachi and he, because he was with Miramax, he was walking by. He goes, oh, I just met this guy, Quentin Tarantino. He's writing this film, a follow-up film called Pulp Fiction to his hit Reservoir Dogs. It's an excellent film. It's an all – it's a definitely pick-you-up-by-the-bootstraps kind of buck about getting off your ass and doing shit. I, my favorite quote that actually made me laugh was uh, when they call them dorks after they're being hosed down. And yes. Uh, ha, ha, they're your clothes, motherfucker. <laughs> Love that. It was just same works. It was a perfect one-liner. You know what's funny about that scene? I remember what seeing when I saw the movie in the theater and thinking all he did was just come and tell them what to do. Like everything he told them to do was kind of common sense. Like clean out the car, change your clothes, get rid of the body, go get it for a different car. Like any and I was like, "Why? That's not a job. Like that's stupid." But I was in college. And once I entered the workforce and I started to realize how stupid people are, I was like, oh, I get it. He's middle management. No, he's he, – yeah, <laughs> that and he's on – he's in Six Sigma training. <laughs> That's a corporate America joke. Paladino's laughing too. <laughs> the gun here, but that is one of my annoyances about this movie. There are so many inconsistencies in 
the thought processes of these characters. They have this really eloquent dialogue, and then they have they're completely incapacitated because they blew some guy's brains out. All right, all right, all right. We're going to sit up for the end with your arguments. I love that. That's good, though. (laughs) Critics' five-star reviews. These are all called from Rotten Tomatoes and other various boards that called them together. This movie boasts groundbreaking direction, cinematography, screenwriting, soundtrack. I give that a double exclamation on the soundtrack. I own it. (laughs) And it brought back surf rock, too. Dick Dale. Never know who Dick Dale was if it wasn't for Miserloo. And extraordinary performances, particularly by Thurman, Thurman, Travolta, and Jackson. There's not much to add to Tarantino's magnus opus, as so popular over the years and buoyed by dialogue so sharp and witty, it'll be quoted with glee by the grandchildren of millennials. I could not agree more with that statement. Next one, it's, per- it's full of perfect Tarantino moments. Uh, it's full of perfect Tarantino mo- uh, moments with meta-references, B-movie sleaze, and a sheer sense of fun. My second favorite review of this section. It resurrects John Travolta from Look Who's Talking Hell. <laughs> it makes Bruce it makes Bruce Willis into a serious actor and it honors the power of fancy, intelligent dialogue written by the director himself. And this is my favorite review in this section. Back in nineteen ninety four, I was a rookie young reviewer, cutting my teeth and slowly losing the will to live, watching the bloated Hollywood fair of Forrest Gump. Thank you. The Flintstones and Lassie. Then along came Pulp Fiction, swaggering with cool and bending all the rules. Finally, critic reviews, we actually all agree. And like, you know what? Spot on. Well, it says Gunnar Liebert said that these, this movie was going to change the way movies were made. A hundred percent. Critics, one star reviews. I was looking forward to this like you wouldn't believe, but it all goes on for so long and it's not terribly witty. Fuck you. <laughs> If Reservoir Dogs was Tarantino's quarter pounder, spare, clean, plenty of beef, Pulp Fiction is the big kahuna burger. Same basic design, but overlaid with novelty fruits. How can you judge what a big kahuna burger is when it's not an actual thing? Jerk off. The way that this picture has been so widely ravened up and jeweled over verges on the disgusting. Pulp Fiction nourishes a bet's cultural slumming. Fucking English majors every week. I have to yell at these people. Pulp Fiction has the most virtues of a genre, genre, except the peculiar passion that invariably lies behind the best of them. Because of that, it can often seem both empty and retrograde, like Mercury uh, is. This guy should be shot in the face. Uh, I prefer a gimp rape scene for this person. All right. Lent, we're getting close to our, to our favorite section, but for now, Amazon five-star reviews. User reviews. So get ready for some bad grammar and some basic bitch logic. Ready? <laughs> Great movie. Rewatchable. Infinitely, infinitely for sure. If I scream, it's because they use all capitals. One caveat. This is actually a good one. 7.22 a.m. and the victims have hamburgers? Are you freaking kidding me right now? Yeah. Most of the fast food chains lighten up order hamber- ordering hamburgers at breakfast time. But really? 7.22 a.m. hamburgers? Okay. Whatever. This is what... Of this entire movie, he's upset about their dietary choices. <laughs> they just threw him in the microwave, dum-dums. Or they just been up and got him late night. You already know and love this film. So what's, about, what's different about this release? Why should you buy it when you have the DVD version? Well, I have the DVD version, and I figured that three ninety nine gold box deal during Black Friday week would make a good value purchase. These pe- he, 
This guy has nothing to do with his life. First, the film is truly gorgeous, for better or for worse. The transition to 1080p is wonderful. There is very little technically unsound. I noticed no overly sharp pixels, no dithering, no slow bars, no bars, just crisp in resolution. Seriously, this film is so sharp, I can see each and every pore of Samuel L. Jackson's face. If you think you can see... And this is me, though. If you think you can see pores on Samuel L. Jackson's face, go watch Craterface Dane Cook in HD. Jesus Christ. It looks like he had a, a football practice held in his face. All right. <laughs> was he reviewing the movie or his TV? No, I, like, both. <laughs> was that a humble brag? He's trying to sneak in there. His TV is so clean. A note of caution. If you have problems with foul language, sexuality, or scenes of drug use, definitely sit this one out. But if you don't mind a generous sprinkling of F-bombs, some on-screen violence, and clearly adult themes, this is a fantastic movie. Such a riot. But definitely for adults, in, oh, it's... But definitely for adults, only in its warped humor. And it scenes, IT apostrophe S, is this Jeff Paul writing this? It scenes that somehow mix <laughs> comedy with disturbing violence. This guy, the person who wrote this film the entire time, the review the entire time through the movie just kept going, oh my. Ah. Oh my. Clutching pearls. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of pearl clutching <laughs> in the one star reviews, which we're getting to now. Amazon, one star reviews. Should we have stingers for these review sections, I think? Yeah, I think so, yeah. We need to get a. <laughs> an intern all right <laughs> this is this is i wrote the date down because it's going to be important reviewed in the united states on march 28th 2019 i was unprepared for the heavy drug theme and paraphernalia being a recovering addict this is noteworthy i did not finish watching this film my question is this guy who the fuck what fucking rock are you living under when you did not know about this heroin scene 25 years later? And by the way, it's plastered all over the R rating where he explains why something is R. This person's a self-centered douche. I don't like them. <laughs> That's how you t- – and I don't S- like them. Stop it with your um, an recovering thing. It's not because – the film's not bad because you're an addict. It's because you're – never mind. We can't get canceled already. Oh, We're 15 Jesus. episodes in. I didn't like where that was going. That's why I cut it. I just don't like violent, violent films. It may be clever, but shallow, too. Kind of like good porn. I say, if you didn't come after the Mia Wallace overdose, then you're not a red-blooded American in this man's opinion. <laughs> Couldn't get past the first five minutes after the F word was used about 20 times. Stop watching. P.S. My favorite movie is New Jack City. Just made that up. No. <laughs> oh, my. That's a chloral putcher. <laughs> I tried to watch. I bought it because of the Micah quote. I didn't look up what Micah quote is, but I'm going to guess that's Ezekiel 25-17, oh, which actually is a made-up quote. If you say, say that the Bible, people go, that's not real. Apparently, that's another fun fact. Huh. If you like to watch people get high and talk filthy, this is for you. And I dare say these people are the ones who donate money to Joel Osteen's jet fund. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I'm not love it. Signed, Sir Ian McKellen. No, I just made that up. <laughs> I'm not love it. That's exactly what they wrote. I'm not love it. Like the movie, for the most part, besides the deliverance scene, but getting rid of it now because Tarantino is a moron. Won't purchase any more of his movies? You know you can, by the way, you know you can skip that scene. But, guy, if you don't like that scene, there's always you that fast think when they were writing deliverance, they were like, oh, man. Our movie is going to be quoted every time there's a man-on-man rape scene. Like, that's what this movie is going to be remembered as. Guys, squeal like a pig. Still going to be good when the Jetsons cars are flying now. Uh, last one. It's cool to like this film. I'm hip. More Hollywood glorification of mafia and killing with even more violence. It's just violence porn masquerading as a hipster. Uh I don't know about you, Kevin. I must have missed the scene where dudes with man buns were fucking women with armpit hair while wearing while riding unicycles and claiming their bedroom lamp is racist. 
Wow. It's a good one, right? I hear every one of these reviews in Dave Chappelle's white person voice. Lynette Palladino, the floor is yours. You chose Pulp Fiction. You hated this film. Gut the sacred cow. Gut the sacred cow. As I have a sip of my beer. I have attempted to watch Pulp Fiction many times. uh, And that is mostly because I seem to attract guys who this is their favorite film. You mean you mean men with penises? So <laughs> yeah. That's... People with taste and common sense and enjoying life? And I, I should say that one of those guys is not even American. He's He was in the Italian army we met when we were working for NATO. And so it's transcendent. You know what I mean? It certainly has its international appeal. Um, but I just, I started it, I've probably tried to watch it three times. And this is the first time I've ever finished it. Uh, and... I I stick by my initial my initial reaction. It is not a film that I will ever go, oh, that's a great movie. I appreciate what it did for cinema and the industry. Um, but to me, I, there's not a lot of appeal. What didn't what like what's a couple of things that you specifically didn't like about the movie? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think some of the dialogue is heinous. I think it's pretentious. I think it's, um, oh, look at me and how clever I am. And yet it's inconsistent. You have these characters that can wax poetic and then they're just complete losers in the heat of the moment. You know, the way uh, Vega reacts to Mia's overdose, it's like... Um, the way that they reacted to shooting that guy in the face. You don't think? Which, wait, wait. Why did Travolta? Why did he overreact? He knows that Marcellus Wallace is all business. Hell, he threw Tony Rocky Howard into that glass place window. He, he fell, four, fell four stories. Right? For, uh, my, for a foot massage. Yeah, for <laughs> foot massage. So you know he's all business. So if his wife's gonna die on his watch, you know he's fearing for his life. I don't think that's overreacting his part at all. No, I think he was having uh, like a. I don't. I don't, don't want to say overreacting. I'm saying like in stressful situations, they're incapacitated. You brought some coked up bitch to my house. Prank caller. Prank caller. Don't call back. <laughs> I'm just going to throw quotes out every five minutes. Well, that I. That's where I kind of appreciate um, some of these side characters, and that they they're the ones that keep their cool and keep the momentum going, like. The Christopher Walkins, the Harvey Keitel's, the the guy that plays the um, the, the what's his face, Eric Eric Stoltz. Uh, you mean yeah, those- the original Marty McFly? Oh, very good, very good. Who was? Did you know that Lynette? He actually was Marty McFly. They shot about half the film, and the uh, producers were saying he sucks. We can't do this. He wasn't they, funny. No, he's terrible. Yeah. And they cut, they cut him, and they had to reshoot everything with Michael J. Fox. So that's a fun fact for those of you. Who don't. Hey, but you know what, Lynette? Never mind. You do make you do make a good point that while they have this very deep, very philosophical dialogue throughout the whole movie, Marcellus uh, not, and not Marcellus, uh, v- uh, Vega, Jules? Vega and, uh, and Jules. Jules are kind of bumbling idiots when it comes to being in the moment. But I also think that's a, di- a dichotomy he was trying to create. Like he was trying to create these two characters who were like these – who you would just normally – they would normally be the two idiots, the two like henchmen in the background of the of the moment. And now you get to see how these henchmen live and the shit they get into. And they're actually like these deep introspective characters 
but they are really, in the end, just two henchmen. Which is exactly why they needed Harvey. He needed Harvey Keitel to go over and get their asses right. out of this trouble. Right. Because they're not the smartest guy. I mean, how many how many hitmen do you read or characters depict them of Harvard graduates or right. even some of them of a, a, you know, a high IQ? So there's, some are very smart, but, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say all hitmen are a, a wise bunch, so to speak. No. I, they, I, I genuinely think they were in, – in any other movie – they were like the two throwaways who would have probably gotten killed early on or maybe a little later in the movie. But they were just there for the hero to shoot through. Well, they also lived so long because one reason, one reason only, because they had the briefcase, briefcase right. with the soul in his briefcase, which protected them. Because the God came down from what? heaven and stopped those motherfucking bullets. Don't, now, see, don't be spreading that bullshit that it was a soul in the briefcase. Well, did you see what the code was on the thing? 666. But Quentin Tarantino himself said there was nothing. He doesn't yeah, know. I it was know. a MacGuffin. That's, yeah. By the way, do you know why, Ving, another fun fact, Ving Rames had a Band-Aid on his neck? Well, I know, I know people f- theorize that his soul was pulled out of his neck. Correct. But I can't remember the actual reason. He, Ving Rings has a vicious scar in the back of his neck, and he wanted to cover it up. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why. <laughs> Lynette, continue your argument here, please. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, so and then there, there's just visual elements that I find annoying. Uh, like at the beginning of the movie, John Travolta seems to have an accent that he loses after the first uh, triptych. Wait, which uh, did, he, wait, wait, does he Princess Leia this shit on us? Did I miss something? Yeah, I don't. I was like, what the fuck kind of voice is that? Like, he doesn't sound like that. Uh, like, like a New York hairdo. accent? No, it's not a New York accent. It's it. It, I w- it wasn't placeable to me, but it was just. It seemed bizarre. Which like, scene was it? Do you remember? Because I can. No, it was in the beginning of the film. The very beginning. Of when the he's film. doing Royale with cheese. Uh. In the car where they're driving to go kill uh, well, that the three was the guys. opening scene, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the, opening, well, the opening opening scene, scene is Tim Roth, yeah. right? Yeah. No. It was uh, – I think it was as they're walking to the apartment to go to those guys. Uh, but I, the, like the hairdo, I hate the hairdo. Uh, it's just <laughs> so slow. Like it's it's painfully slow. It, there's so much dialogue and not a lot of action. And when the action does happen, it's like quick, and you're like, oh, like. Uh, See, I think that's like, the beauty part of this film. It's the dial. The dial. There. This is a masterclass on dialogue writing, and yeah. the scene. There's no one better at dialogue than Tarantino. There's no one. No and one. I also, I also feel like the scene, the each scene, the dialogue, and the and the music and everything builds up so perfectly to that little fast blast of action. Sure. The whole scene in that apartment, you know. He's somebody's getting. You know they're going to shoot them, right? And when he's pointing his the, the gun at the kid, you know he's going to shoot that kid, right? And you're just waiting through all of this dialogue, and then all this, and then suddenly that kid jumps out of the bathroom and shoots at the, and it and it all happens so fast. But it's like, it's it's almost it's like an orgasm. It's like an all build up, and then suddenly it's just it's over. It's ama- He has such an ear for for stuff that's fallen to the bottom of the bargain bins with music. And he pulls out these weird songs like, like Miserloo. Like I never would have – I never knew who Dick Dale was. But that opening theme, even the preview, go, what song is that, yeah. man? I got, and I bought the soundtrack just for that. And then you hear Jungle Boogie. And then you hear uh, – Son uh, of a Preacher, man. Son of a – yeah, which is also hits – because you know, I saw in the theater, what other, what other album sampled that Son of the Preacher Man opening? Do-do-ding-ding. Ding. Do-do-ding-ding. 
hits from the bong. Oh, shit. Yeah. Because I'm in the theater with my buddy. Oh, hits from the bong. I look at him and go, hits from the bong. <laughs> I think the music, I think his choices are just, are flawless. I, that, think, I mean, that whole, that we listened to that soundtrack my freshman year of college constantly. I even have, go ahead and laugh, of several songs from that film. I have the goddamn gimp theme on my iPhone. And it's and it's called Get Out the Gimp. Yep. Yeah. And the inter- and, and the soundtrack with the different sound the the, the dialogue they have. Yeah. I love how this was a, told as a, a circular story. You're like, wait, what? Like my dad is a basic bitch with films. He it's, it's Naked Gun or Animal House or shit <laughs> like that. There are some other films he doesn't like a lot. Action films he hates, hates, hates comic book films. But he hates a lot of stuff, and he absolutely – you, Lynette, my friend Nick Carnival, who comments in your Facebook post from time to time, and my father are the three – only the three people I know to hate this film. My dad really? hates this film. <laughs> look, no, look. I, uh, I, I won't say that I hate it now that I've finally watched it all the way through. I think there are elements that I can appreciate. Uh, I, I wouldn't call it one of the greatest films of all time. For me, it just doesn't do it. And now – and I say that. Kind of with the perspective that I didn't watch this in the movie theater. I watched it by myself. And I think if you had had that experience, you would have been like, wow, I I would go back and pay good money to see this two, three times in the movie theater. But if you're going to call yourself the greatest film of all time, it should be able to transcend the movie theater experience. It should be able to hold up after 25 years. And this movie doesn't do that for me. Well, 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 I'm just going to cut you off for one second because before we turn these mics on, we were talking before on the phone saying how perfectly this well is, does hold up well. And then some, I I was, I was going to ask you, do you think this move, does this movie to you feel dated? Like when you watch this, where you're like, uh, this is, Oh, 100%. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, there are themes in the movie that now would be called gratuitously homophobic, gratuitously racist, you know, that Quentin Tarantino gets to drop the N-bomb ad, ad nauseum. Um, that I don't think you'd be able to get away with that. He nowadays. sure does in a little film called Django Unchained. Oh man, Leonardo DiCaprio! I think broke a record for how many times he yeah. said it. Yeah, <laughs> I love Django's great. I, I think he made Django was kind of like, hey, I know I made a lot of N-word <laughs> films. Now I'm going to make the slave the hero you're gonna, you're gonna, you're... and quell all the uprising from the black community if there is one. But we're gonna drop the N bomb 278 times. No, I think it's more than <laughs> yeah. that. I legit think it's like 300 some plus times. <laughs> I think that kind of speaks to a little bit of the the Tarantino perversion. I, he he definitely gets off on being able to get away with that. No doubt, Tarantino is a twisted, twisted man. His the whole thing with his feet. Oh, you motherfucker! Is this that's note number <laughs> no, note number one two three, seven? When Neil Wallace walks downstairs and crosses her feet, this is the beginning of Tarantino's yeah, documented foot fetish. Yep. Yeah, and it's creepy. And yeah. we know I don't like feet. Yeah, me neither. Because again, I know Lynette. You saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's a scene where. What's her fucking face? I don't even know her name. The girl dated Pete Davidson for a hot second. That's how I'm going to call her from now on with the hairy armpits. 
She takes her shoes off when Brad Pitt's giving her a lift and puts her feet on the dashboard yeah. for like 10 minutes where my dad would be like, you fucking kidding me? Like, you think you're going to put your feet on my car? And her bare feet were just hanging out just the entire disgusting. way. I was not a fan of that. But yeah, that was note number seven for me. Well, that was one of the my annoyances. Another inconsistency. There's no way you're going to live in that beautiful fucking place that Mia Marsalis lives in. And then uh, you have dirty feet. No way. Like, I didn't notice her feet were dirty because I was too busy not looking at her feet. <laughs> but I'll say, listen, I'll, I'll believe you on that. And look, okay, so not to like be all negative. Like there were things that I appreciated. Like Actually, that's your, that's your job is to be negative in this as your role. <laughs> I know, no, no, no. But look, like, because watch where I'm going with this. Go ahead. Shits. Uh, John Travolta danced the shit out of that scene. Uma Thurman, I, I think you could have put Julia Louis-Dreyfus in there and just be like, just dance like Elaine. Like, <laughs> it was, oh. There's a whole like, song you... dedicated to, I want to dance like Uma Thurman. <laughs> but yeah, but that's my fallout boy. They don't count. Yeah. They're terrible. Where do you stand on Uma Thurman? I am pro Uma Thurman. I think she's hot. Uh, Not I, in this necessarily. But other films, I, I think, think she's strikingly I, I beautiful. I think she has. I, I no, I would not say she's beautiful, but I will no? say she has a sexy aura about her, and she's got a, like a mystique to her. But I think if you just put her face on a like on a card and up against other faces, that you would not you would not think she looks. She doesn't have a beautiful face. She's not taking down Charlie's stare, and we all admit no, that. Okay, I, but I think on. she's. I think she's pro. I'm pro. So yeah, I give her a thumbs up. I, all right, I agree. I think that they made her look very intriguing in this movie. And then she speaks, and you're like, oh, you're a fucking moron. Wow, <laughs> oh. that's bold. She kicked ass in Kill Bill. She's hot. One of the things that did bother me, and I, and this goes back to Lynette's point of kind of them being stupid, was uh, – and I I was never a big big into drug culture. But I feel like if somebody was did a lot of drugs and you just found a vial of drugs in somebody's pocket, you wouldn't be like, oh, this must be cocaine, and just snort it. Right. You might say, hey, what is this? Right. You wouldn't just, I, I, unless it was your first time doing drugs, I feel like she did a lot of drugs. She would have known to right. like not just snort, throw something up her nose. When she came to, she looked like most chicks who do a, a mic at UCB or Brooklyn. <laughs> Jesus. What can I tell you? <laughs> that, that coming to scene... That was almost too immediate for me. It's adrenaline. Like, That's what happens when you get shot. Not that I've been shot with adrenaline, but. That's my point. Like, he stabs her and she immediately shoots up. I just feel like. <laughs> Say something. Something. Pause, like, a heavy pause and then come to. But it was, like, spastic. I, I, I believe that is actually clinically proven that that's what happens when you get shot with a gentleman, especially mainline right in your heart. Yeah. I believe I, that. I, I mean, I, I, I can't argue one way or another, but um, I, th- I think for that's for the scene, it was effective. Let me go through my notes. Uh, first one, this film single-handedly resurrected Travolta and Bruce Willis's career. Both were in the shitter, as the one reviewer had noted. Travol- Bruce Willis is my favorite character in this movie. He's, he's really the only kind of hero in the movie. Right. Well, hold on. I think Jules, too, because he comes full circle at yeah, the end. that's fair. says, I'm quitting, and that's it. I'm, I've seen the light, and I'm, I want to live. He's do this. my favorite character. He is not a great character. Uh, and, and here is my frustration with him. That chick of his is a fucking asshole. Like, the, the way she just nags him 
as he's riding back on Grace and like she just can't get on the fucking bike and she's asking all of these questions. I'm like, I would have been out. I would be like, you know what? I'm not taking you with me anymore. Yeah, I was. She she was annoying. I was always curious as to the genesis of that relationship. I yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Travolta in the early scene. I don't watch TV. That started that hero movement of I don't watch TV. That's like the same level of hero that someone who disarms bombs or navigates minefields or has to fuck Amy Schumer. That kind of level of hero, right? <laughs> that is one intense heroin scene. I saw that in the theater. Go, holy shit! That is bomb. I'm not, again. I'm not a drug guy either. So that was something uh, that got me. This one, I never really noticed. I mean, I noticed it, but it didn't hit home until I rewatched this again on Friday. I like when Eric Stoltz left that phone ring 25 fucking times. My parents had an answering machine that was set to four rings. <laughs> Four. 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 That's that's, that's a, miserly. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want four. Well, yeah. And if, if he didn't want anyone calling that late, he would have set the machine to four rings. And that's exactly what I'm going to tell this asshole right now. <laughs> 25 rings he lets that go. Lance! <laughs> uh, this is the first time I saw a film with a circular plot, and I fucking loved it. I said, this is genius. Me pure, too. pure genius. Yep. Uh, when Marcellus and Bruce Willis get in that accident, Instead of that innocent bystander, I wish it was Kathy Griffin that caught that bullet. Instead of that lady in the white shorts. She, I fucking hate her. Walken is pure Walken. I said that. If I had a son and he misbehaved, and uh, I would just show him that Marcellus Wallace rape scene every time he did not take out the trash or come home on time. Just show. That's, that's a brutal scene. I know. It's going to leave that here for you, buddy. <laughs> just take note, okay? Uh, and here's one I said since day one in the theater. He should have went with the goddamn chainsaw instead of the samurai sword. So interesting that you bring that up. Each of those each of those weapons that he goes through, he goes through the hammer, the bat, the chainsaw, the sword. The sword's was, the last one. I think there was one more. I think it was no. five weapons. It was four? No. Three. Three. That was it? It was everything in threes. It was four. There were four <laughs> weapons. It was a hammer, a bat, a chainsaw, and a sword. Oh, you're right. Four. You're right. Four. I take it back. Um, each of those sword, each of those weapons represented a weapon from an earlier movie that they were trying to harken back to. The bat was the bat was got Goodfellas. The chainsaw was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The hammer was some mur- murder movie that I've never heard of, and the sword was the whatever the the seven Ronin or whatever forty seven Ronin. Yeah, forty seven. Okay. And I was also <laughs> waiting to see. Go ahead, go ahead, Lynette. Sorry. Wait a minute. So. You just got held up at gunpoint by these people, and you don't see or look for the gun. You go with a sword, something you have legit never wielded in your life. Uh, There's no way. Lynette, you've clearly never been a little boy. (laughs) (laughs) Every boy wants to kill somebody with a sword. (laughs) I have two swords at my house. I'll just let you know. Just saying. That is badass. Because and I remember in the theater, as he was picking up the weapons, people started like laughing harder and harder. And then when he picks, like he pulls the sword out from under the thing, and everybody, everybody in the theater went, "Ooh!" <laughs> I was a chainsaw, chainsaw. <laughs> By the way, I'm curious to know if that was a Tori Hanzo sh- a sword that he used from Kill Bill. Ah, yeah. See, oh, that's a good call. See, good call. damn it. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm. By de- the way, Bruce what? Willis is smoking fucking hot in this movie. Yeah. When did he yeah. lose it? The, the whole nine yards or the whole ten yards? <laughs> he, I, it was, he was great. Now, about Bruce Willis and his annoying girlfriend. Who the hell asks in a sex scene, will you give me oral pleasure? My wife. That dialogue oh. <laughs> doesn't make you, – you fucking liar. <laughs> You're right. That dialogue – But then he goes, will you kiss it too? That was funny. <laughs> will you kiss it? Yeah. <laughs> 
I think I, I mean she was supposed to be almost like this childish figure who was completely set out of the events of this movie. Everybody in this movie was this kind of evil, hard ass, dark character. Bruce Willis was the one guy kind of trapped in it who was trying to survive. And then he's got this basically child for a girlfriend who has no idea of the evil going on in the rest of the story. All right, they say runner 18. How about that? Yeah. She's too out of it. You're right. Tarantino is such a bad actor in this. He is fucking awful. And uh, you want to call a couple of your friends? Well, do so and get the fuck out of my house. Like it, it, that whole scene, he just stammers through that. You figure, like Jesus Christ, man, do you not watch the dailies? This, that was a shit take. Do another one. Has he ever been a good actor in any of his movies? Dust till dawn. He's good. You thought he was good. I thought he was fine. terrible well, at that. Sorry, I take that back. He was fine. He was fine. <laughs> Par for the course. He turns into a vampire two-thirds through the film. Doesn't have to say much. Yeah. George Clooney carries and we get it. Harvey Keitel as a wolf is what every dude wanted to be back in 1994. Yeah. It's 15 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. <laughs> I love the character arc that Jules has when he goes full circle. Uh, yeah. He comes full swing. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, and uh, uh, Vincent's bum speech. Totally you get flagged today by social justice warriors. You're going to be a fucking bum, Jules. You're going to walk through the earth, these pieces of shit. You're going to stand outside and pick through my fucking garbage. He would get flagged for, uh, <laughs> canceled. for poor shaming. Canceled. <laughs> Kevin Israel, do you have any notes? Um, I, you know what? I, I watched the movie again. I hadn't seen it in a while. I always liked it. I didn't hold it qu- up quite as high as you did, but I never... It was one of those movies that I always went back to and was like, that was a great movie. Um... But I didn't think it aged at all. I did not I think felt, it aged one iota. And in fact, I felt like he created it in such a way because it felt a little anachronistic where like their clothing that they were wearing and the cars they were driving didn't quite fall into the 90s anyway. Except they for were, Julia Sweeney. He's dressed like she's going to the Lilith Fair. <laughs> but like the suits, uh, Vega wears, and just the whole thing, it felt a little like like 40s, 50s-ish. But you wear a black suit, white shirt, black tie. People wore that today in 2020. Right, right. And but and I so I think he, he I think it was all set up in almost a way where you could watch it at any time and be like, I have no idea. When this takes place, right, and at the end, that doesn't really matter. Yeah, I thought it hasn't dated one one set one iota, not one bit. What's that, Lynette? Was it supposed to be in like current time? Because I couldn't place the time either. I, I think guess it I, was. they were using cell phones and stuff. I think the scene was weird. The scene where uh, where he hits him with the car and then he sh- he shoots the bystander. I think the cars in the background looked like nineties something cars. Well, the cell phone things like you just said. I forgot about that with the flip oh, cell right. phone. That's yep. a dead giveaway. Yeah, the phones. Everyone calling each other on a, a hard line too. That yeah. was, but uh, that, that we're nitpicking with that. I just there's nothing. Yeah. This is an evergreen film. I, I just you know I think this is evergreen. And <laughs> so the, here, this was one of my biggest pet peeves about the movie. Uh, the taxi scene when Bruce Willis is leaving after the fight, it was awful. Like, I don't, the, you know, the window is open and yet the cigarette smoke is flowing. Right. The, the, whatever background they used, I, it was so distracting. I'm like, this is so unrealistic. Like, I don't understand. You go through such painful measures with all of these long shots to create really beautiful scenes like the scene when Bruce Willis is going back to his apartment to get his watch. I loved that scene. Right. And then you te- like, but that was 
preceding that was this awful scene in a taxi with this fake ass background. I was just like, what? <laughs> what? I, I will say if I, that that's probably the weakest scene in the film. We're in America, honey. Names don't mean shit. That's funny. But other than that, like, tell me who your fare was. I will tell the truth. Several yeah. well-dressed Japanese businessmen. Yeah. That, was not, that wasn't a lot. That could have gotten cut for all I care. That didn't really add anything. It didn't really take it away. But that, that, if I had to pick the weakest scene, that's it. But, uh. Yes. Every woman in this movie is fucking annoying. Like, I, I like Mia I, Wallace. I, I got to say, I have a soft spot for her. No. Oh, I mean, woof. she's I, I I have to agree with Lynette here. They're all the women are pretty much poised. The honey bunny lady. Oh, she's, she's annoying. A as pain fuck. in the ass. Pot lady is a pain. French girlfriend is a pain in the ass. Marcella, if she didn't start, if she didn't, if she just didn't take the drugs or if she just said, hey, what is this? None of this would have happened. Hell, Vega might still be alive if none of that happened. But. She, I mean, all the women were poised. To Wait, be, why would Vega be alive if that didn't happen? He went to no. He was there to Bruce Willis's house to go kill to Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. That's why he was there. He's going to die no matter yeah. what. Which brings up another interesting point that I read. I can't take credit for this. Everything significant that happens to Vega throughout the movie happens sub- in the toilet. Subsequent to a bathroom scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The uh, the 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 robbery in the uh, the holdup in the diner. He just went to the bathroom and came back. Uh, when uh, when she takes the drugs, he was in the bathroom and he just comes back. She took the drugs and he overdoses. And then he's in the bathroom when Bruce Willis comes in and finds the gun and comes out and gets shot and dies. Did you say the part where that he, when, the, when the breakfast place was being robbed? Yeah. I'm yeah. going to go take a shit. I'll be right back. <laughs> Jules, you give that Nimrod $1,500, I'll shoot you on general principle myself. And to be fair, and it, this wasn't necessarily Vincent, but he uh, the kid was in the bathroom hiding. And then jumped out and shot at the shot at the. And Did you forget was... to tell us the fact that there was a guy with a goddamn hand cannon. <laughs> in the other, I fucking know this film cold, yeah, and do. I love it. Yeah, it is a tour de force. It should be taught in every film one hundred and one class. It was uh, my film class that I took in college. We watched this. Did you really? Yeah, and we, we talked about. So this was the first movie that I. This was the first movie that I ever saw that was um, in a an off. Uh, chron- wasn't chronolo- chronologically correct. Right. And it was really one of the first movies that I think I had to think through the movie. Sure. Because I remember looking at one of my buddies going, because we were all like, what the hell's going on? Because it was obviously was not happening in a linear fashion. And then finally I was like, they're showing this at different times. Yeah. I remember saying, like, I was like, oh, my God, I figured it out. Like, I, it was the first movie that I had to actually had to put. I mean, I was only 18 at the time, but I had to put thought into. And then when I figured it out, I felt so accomplished. Sherlock Israel over there, guys. <laughs> Nothing I gets got past it. him. I had so much respect for you. <laughs> wow. She's calling you a dumb dumb Kev. Yeah, that's fair. That's Aww. fair. I have a law degree. <laughs> you using that law degree these days, buddy? <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Ah, don't let facts get in the way of good argument. Lynette Palladino, you came to gut the sacred cow. And as I said before, a Sisyphean effort this was. You had virtually no chance, and I stand absolutely 100% right where I stood before an hour ago that this film is unassailable. In my book. But I, I love your effort. I love your energy. I appreciate you coming on Gutting the Sacred Cow. Where can we find you besides McDougal Street in about 25 minutes? Oh, my gosh. I'm all over those. Saturday, Kevin and I are going to be in Jersey for a comedy shop. Head to their website and look us up. Um, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm really like uh, – it's it's great. I'm, I'm really happy about where things are comedically. 
Give us uh, some social medias or some shit like that yeah. for, for all the folks. Uh, Instagram's the base, best place to find out where I'll be performing, especially my stories. It's a uh, Lynette underscore Palladino. Uh, I don't post to gratuitous photos of my kids uh, or my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> One a month is my rule, too. There you go. That's why we get along. It's a cute fucking dog. One a month. <laughs> but yeah. Where, anywhere, anything else you want to plug, promote, shout out from the rooftops? No, you guys are great. This is this was a super fun time. Uh, I I felt like a, a college kid again doing research, and uh, I it took me three hours to watch the movie because I would pause and stop and take notes and be like, oh, this fucking bullshit. I'm gonna say you're a little bit <laughs> slow. It's only two hours and forty minutes. That's it. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I have to echo what Kevin said. This was a this was a, a big boulder for you to push. You made some good points. But in the end, this is this is this movie's a classic, and it's going to go down, and it's going to go down in the the movie hall of fame. The annals, not annals, annals. I love this film. There's no doubt about it. But Kevin Israel, where can we find you besides working with Lynette Palladino this week? Uh, just go to my website, kevinisrael.com, and as usual, my album, The Struggle Is Real, is on iTunes and everywhere else you can get stuff. KevinGoatee.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'll be on. I fucked up the date. Next Monday on Sirius. Uh, Shade 45, I'll be in the Rude Jude show at 5 o'clock. Give that a listen and dates on that good shit. KevinGoatee.com, like I had said. And again, please keep the reviews coming in. If you like the show, the only favor we ask, again, quick five-star rating, two-sentence review, and share with a friend. A lot of people are digging this stuff. If they like films, do them a solid. And if you're looking to work with us in any capacity, please do so. And of course, but if you're looking to advertise, gutting the sacred cow at Hotmail.com. Lynette Palladino, you're an angel. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow for lunch. Uh, and thanks again for coming on Gutting the Sacred Cow. Love you. Bye. Bye, Lynette. Bye. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.